Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Theology Podcast, where we as ordinary pastors connect theological truths to everyday believers like you and me. My name's Ben Campbell, and I'm joined by Dustin Walters. Dustin, how's it going in Indiana? All is well. It's kind of a rainy day here in Indiana, but over the weekend, we're getting ready to um, see some fall-like temperatures, and we're actually going to have some really nice weather after the rain clears up. So we're excited about uh, getting to experience actual fall. I don't know if you guys in Arkansas actually will get to experience it or if it's still just 85 degrees out there. No, it's kind of funny. Actually, it's going to be the same around here. Um, it's actually raining here today, too. And uh, it's supposed to be and it's supposed to be in the 40s at night next couple of days, next few days. So I'm wow. excited to get, get a hoodie out. Absolutely. I love hoodie weather. So we're yeah. super glad, super glad to be here today, dear listener. And we've missed connecting with you, and but we're super thankful to bring back Four Lindsay and Fridays today. Um, we actually finished our discussion of the quest for truth. And so we're going to pick up with uh, Leroy Forlans's biblical ethics book, uh, which Ben, I believe, was initially published. Uh, was it initially published in the 90s? Actually, I'm wrong. In the 70s. Initial, initial copyright is 1973. So uh, today, dear listener, we're going to jump right into Biblical Ethics by F. Leroy Fourlines for Four Lindsay and Friday. Welcome back to the podcast and the first Friday of the month. We're glad you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think uh, I I really want to say that Biblical Ethics was his first book that he ever put out, actually. Um, A lot of people think that Biblical Systematics, which is the original version of what we know as the quest for truth, was his first book. But um, actually, I think it was Biblical Ethics. Um, I think I think Biblical Systematics came in 75. So uh, this is going to be a, a good book. Um, Four Lines has a, a little bit of a different uh, take on ethics than than some folks. And so this is going to be really good for us to look at um, chapter one of biblical ethics, which is the theological foundation for ethics and kind of how we get to ethics. Um, but a lot of it has to do with uh, you know, worldview, and and it does have to do with theology and kind of how we um, come to know morality and how we come to make ethical decisions and things like that. Though this book, Ben, was written more than five decades ago, it's extremely relevant for us today because it points us back to a biblical ethic, and that kind of ethic is actually desperately needed in our, quote, post-Christian, end quote, environment. And, um, you know, as I think about what's happening in our country, and as I think about not just political, uh, but also political, there's just Mm -hmm. so many things going on. Ethics has been totally thrown out the window. And I think that we need to revisit what does it mean to be an ethical and a moral person. But it has to be based on something deeper. There has to be a foundation for it. And the thing that I love about what Four Lines is going to accomplish in this book, Ben, is that um, he, he doesn't he bases it on a biblical worldview that understands man as created in the image of God, uh, biblical worldview that understands that man humans are sinners who are in rebellion against God in need of a Messiah who is Jesus, and that Jesus comes not only to give us a get out of hell free card, but he actually changes the way that we live our lives. So I'm very excited to jump into this discussion. We're certainly not professionals at ethics, yet here at Everyday Theology, we feel that 
you, dear listener, need a uh, encouragement and a reminder of the biblical foundation for Christian ethics. Yeah, you're right. Um, the thing about it is, is that ethics and morals and uh, well, four lines uh, says that ethics deals with morals and ideals. And um, he says that morals are right and wrong. Ideals are good and bad. And so, but one of the things he says is he says, you can't ignore those things because they're woven into every fabric of life. Everything we do um, is, is constituted by morality and ideality. Um, and so it, it's, it's difficult to have situations where there is no such thing as a right and wrong, or there is no such thing as a good choice and a bad choice, or even a better choice and a best choice. Um, you know, there, there are such thing as good, there, there is such a thing as good ethics where it's not just like the lesser of two evil evils, but it could be like a good, better, best type of situation. Right. Um, not necessarily what is the good choice, but what's the best choice. Um, and so when we look at every fabric of life, um, we have to understand that, that we have to first start with anthropology. We have to start with the question, and this is what Fourline says, what is man? Um, because if there is such a thing as like a separate uh, being that is man, he, he actually says if man is separate from like animals, then we have to have a moral system somewhere. And By the way, can I interject something here, Ben, on yeah. the separation of the human race from the animal kingdom? Uh, that's vitally important because um, if if we are no different than a beast, uh, then we can live however we want. And we are just acting on impulse, which really we see that being played out in our culture. Not to get in too much of the weeds here before we go into what you're about to say about anthropology. I want to go back there. But we see this being played out in sports. We see the debate over, you know, can men play and participate in women's sports and vice versa? Mm -hmm. And we're not trying to go off on that tangent today, but there, there are ethical problems that even unbelievers agree this things are wrong. Yeah. But it's built then on a secular humanist foundation that tries to eliminate Jesus, God, the Bible and objective truth. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, I believe that the moral argument for the existence of God actually is very strong. It's not as strong as, say, the cosmological argument, but I, I'm really fired up about this, and uh, I want to hear what <laughs> you're going to say about anthropology. But this is definitely relevant, dear listener. We see this played out, you know, day in and day out, and we we have to found we have to establish our lives on a foundation that's that's more sturdy, that's more stable than just do whatever you want. That that's not going to fly. That's not going to build for the stability of a people or a society. Yeah, for sure. And the thing about it is, is, um, you know, why why can't you marry your dog? You know, or whatever. Um, you know, what what is the purpose of? That? Well, we have to have ethics. We have to have morals to to answer those questions. So, Dustin, as we uh, as we move on here, I think you you gave us a good segue. Give us sort of a little bit of an over overview of this book and how it uh, kind of how it's going to play out. So, this book is divided into thirteen short chapters, 
which four lines initially referred to as 13 lessons on ethics that indicates the practicality of what he wants to accomplish. He, he means this to be for everyday Christians, not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just professors at Bible college, but he wants this to be for everybody. So in the first two chapters, Ben, he actually establishes a theological foundation for developing an ethical system. And from there, he actually moves on to describe the basic values in chapter three. Um, I love chapter three and chapter four. Chapter three, basic values. Chapter four, the basic relationships in life. From chapters three and four, he moves on to describe uh, the relationship between old covenant and new new covenant approaches to ethics. There are some similarities and differences that we'll get into when we share that episode of the podcast. Um, Chapter five actually transitions uh, to a point where in six, four lines establishes basic principles for studying ethical truth. We need to have a guide or a framework on how to approach these things so that we're not just shooting from the hip. He transitions then to lesson seven, where he talks about Christian liberty, uh, and he contrasts that with legalism in chapter eight. Moving on, and I know this is the the 30,000 foot view, dear listener, um, but we want you to kind of understand what Four Lines is accomplishing in context. So he moves on in chapter nine to kind of discuss more intellectual matters. Um, He contrasts the ideas of, quote, realistic idealism, end quote, and, quote, perfectionism, end quote. He moves on to there in chapter 10, and he describes what Christians are to do when values are seen to be in conflict. That's another chapter worth the price of the book. Then the last three chapters, he actually describes personal development, the Christian's relationship to the material world, and how the Christian should make use of leisure time. And I think Ben, you've actually written some things about Christians and leisure time and things like that as well on the on the blog. So that's kind of an overview of Christian ethics, biblical ethics by a flu or four lines. Yeah, I think that that this book really is one of one of his greatest works. Um, it, people automatically look to Quest for Truth, and rightly so, but. Um, man, biblical ethics just really has a good um, a good plot. It has a good flow to it. It has really good um, uh, thoughts and um, uh, just a really good overview of what ethics truly is. Um, so let's just look at the first chapter here. Um, because really, Dustin, what what Four Lines does is he takes biblical anthropology, but establishes it from the point of knowing who God is. Um, so he says our first our first thing to do is to uh, to to ask the question, "What is man?" But we really can't know who man is unless we know who God is. And so Four Lines helps us to understand here that um, God has revealed Himself, His plan, and His way of life in the Bible. And so because the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God um, that he's revealed to us by his grace, we now have the opportunity to know him and to know not just who he is, but but what he does and and then the plan he has for our for our lives. We know that um this is just a few things of of that that four lines gets on to here when it comes to uh 
comes to the person of God, that God is a personal being, that God is not just abstract, but he's personal, he's moral, he's rational. Um, this is the total personality that he established in the quest for truth. He thinks, feels, and acts. Um, but God is sovereign ruler and judge of the universe, um, which at the at the ultimate um, base of this, what Four Lines is getting at here is that God rules and reigns and that this is his world um, and we are responsible to him for how we act in it. That's one of the reasons I love the hymn, This Is My Father's World, mm -hmm. because there is an understandable longing that every believer should have for the next reality, for the time when Christ's kingdom comes to earth. But the reality that God is sovereign ruler and judge of the universe now flies in the face of contemporary thinking, secular humanist thinking that would argue that I am the center of the universe or you yeah. are the center of the universe. We are not. And so we're not just making abstract rules. And can I go a step further? I believe American Christians should participate meaningfully in the public square. Read Christians and Culture by Welch Press. Haven't gotten to read it yet, even though I have had great conversations with uh, some of the contributors. But here I want us to think about this, Ben. America is not the center of the universe. We need to be no. faithful Christians. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to enjoy our freedom. And there's ways that we need to act as American citizens, but also citizens of a heavenly kingdom. But yeah. when we recognize that God is the sovereign ruler, it reminds us of what Psalm 2 says, Ben. The kings of the world raise themselves up against the Lord and his anointed one. Mm -hmm. And then the psalmist said that the Lord sits in heaven and he laughs. Why does it describe him as laughing? All the powers that be are all ultimately only temporary and fleeting powers, Ben. And that's why what God says about morals and ethics how we should view creation, how we should view God, how we should view other humans as image bearers with respect and dignity. All of that goes back to the one truth that there is one Lord, monotheistic faith. Yeah, absolutely. And that's this This is where Four Lines is getting at when he describes God in these ways. He also describes God as holy, as loving, as wise, and ultimately as the perfect being because what he's doing is he's describing God as the source of our ethical and moral knowledge is that there has to be, you talked about the moral argument. There has to be someone from which we get morality. There has to be a moral lawgiver. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about that in, in mere Christianity, that, that we all have this moral law um, within us. He says, uh, you do something unfair to someone and it really doesn't affect you that much, but let somebody do something unfair back to you. And he said, you'll call unfairness before they can say Jack Robinson. And the, the 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 what Lewis is getting at is that we all want to be treated correctly and rightly. And we all want to have good, like ethical treatment of ourselves. Um, and that's because God has um, written his law in our hearts, like Paul tells us in Romans. And so um, what what we're seeing here is that that four lines is establishing God the Almighty as the moral lawgiver, as the the one who gives us the the um the ability to choose right and wrong. 
Um, and so, um, and, and that we have the, we have a, 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 an obligation as believers, especially to make the right choice, to be moral, to, to make good ethical decisions. And yet so often then we find that we, we choose the not good. And that actually is a helpful transition to, from where he begins with theology proper how we understand God to an anthropology, which is what you started talking about on page 15. He starts talking about what is man and what's he like. And and you're talking about the nature of man. Uh, First, he describes man as created by God. Humans originated in a creative act of God. Humans are not linked with the animal kingdom. And one of the greatest causes of moral decay, Forlan said in the 1970s, was evolutionary thinking. I would really think it would be great for someone in Bible college to write a paper or someone at a symposium to write a paper about um, how the creation argument is being discussed today, uh, not just from the 70s, but even considering, you know, even from the science community, some of Darwinian thought, how it's changed within the, the scientific community. But who is man? He was created by God, and that is vitally important that we understand that we're not here by accident, that we have a maker. And from the smallest cell bin, God originates life. And it's fascinating that he does that. Not only did he create us, but he made us in his image. Rational, relational beings. So just like God, we're going to think, feel, and act. We think with our minds, feel with our hearts, and we decide to act with our will. We make choices. But not only that, we're actually created for four basic relationships, as he tells us on page 18 if you want to tell our listeners what are these basic relationships that four lines thought man these are pivotal to all of life yeah i I do want to make one distinction too before we go there and that is um the difference between a person and a personality that four lines does because he talks a lot about thinking feeling and acting in the total personality and he says a person is one who is capable of of behavior personality refers to the way one behaves so we don't just say the total personality as um, a per- as as someone being a person, but what we are saying is that um, the personality is the way in which someone actually does behave. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the four basic relationships. I think four lines is absolutely just so, um, just so pivotal in his thinking in the seventies about this. But he has four basic relationships, man's relationship to God, man's relationship to others, man's relationship to himself, and man's relationship to the created order. And uh, and so what we find here is that we're not created as just impersonal beings. We're created for relationships. We're created for, um, for these relationships to uh, – to, in one way or another, enjoy life, and you could and, even and, say thrive, Ben. Right? Yeah, like, flourish. Yeah, th- this is just th- this is basic human flourishing, isn't it? Um, is that is that we are we are to have these relationships in our life um, because they are good for us. Um, I've recently started. Nobody knows this on the podcast anyway, but I've recently started school to get a counseling degree, and. Um, I've used the four basic relationships so much in in the first discussion post that I've had to do and papers and things I've had to write because it's so pivotal to who we are as people. 
Um, and so we need to remember that, like, even like for me and like, you know, this, but like, I'm like majorly introverted and, but even for me, it's still, it's still necessary and good for me to have friends. It's necessary for me to have good social interaction. Um, I don't need to withdraw from those things. Um, but I also need to know myself and know like when's the right time to do things and know about my emotions. And, but at the same time, the way I know myself best is by knowing God because he knows me best. Mm. So good. Hey, I love these discussions on anthropology and we we've written biblical anthropology would be the correct way to describe that. Um, we we've written about this. We will continue to write about it because it's so pivotal. And the thing about it is you mentioned about personality and person. We're not just disinterested beings. I absolutely love what Fulon says on page 20. Um, and this is kind of prophetic, Ben, if you think about it. He said, the interest in right and wrong, it, uh, the interest in right and wrong is so intense in man that the sinner cannot cope with it by a simple matter of changing labels. Listen to that. Changing labels to suit his actions. Calling a wrong action right may give an occasional relief to a person, but no man can play the game with full success. Man needs a correct knowledge of right and wrong. He needs forgiveness for his sins. He needs his life changed and brought into conformity with right. What a what an excellent, excellent and prophetic word that four lines had there. Yeah, I, I want to I want to direct to 21 where he says the Christian is interested in the subject of right and wrong because God directs him to have such an interest. He has another reason. His own being, by the design of creation and redemption, is interested in righteousness. Again, God has written his law in our hearts. Uh, we we want to be moral people. We desire to be moral people. The problem is we're, we're flawed, right, and, and we're fallen creatures. And so sometimes, though we want to be moral, sometimes we aren't. Uh, isn't that what Paul says in Romans 7? Romans, Paul says in Romans 7, I do the things I do not want to do because of the sin that lies within me. Yep. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about the sin that human nature has and, and what the implications are uh, next month on the first Friday of November, actually. But in the meantime, if you're just chomping at the bits to see what Fulon says about sin and human nature, we encourage you to get yourself a copy, copy of Biblical Ethics. Uh, should be available on Amazon or from directly from the Randall House Bookstore online. Dear listener, we are so thankful that you have jumped in here with us today. As Ben and I have discussed, um, the Theological Foundation for Ethics. The most important takeaway for you today, dear listener, is that the Theological Foundation for Christian Ethics flows from the triune God who has revealed himself generally through the creation, but more specifically through his word. Dear friend, we don't have to wonder what he's like or what he, he expects us to be like, even as believers. Once we've been changed and regenerated by the grace and kindness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he has given us his word, which has been referred to as a guidebook for life. We pray that these truths about biblical ethics and Christian ethics will continue to reach you for your good and for God's glory.